You're listening to The Collected Podcast, bringing you stories that remind us who God is and who we are in Him. The Collected Podcast is a production of Collected Ministries, a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping disciples of Jesus discover and live from their true identity in Christ, recognize and walk in their divine purpose within the kingdom of God, and experience growth in their capacity for mature, healthy relationships. Follow Collected on social media at Collected Ministries, and be sure to visit thecollectedpodcast.com for show notes and additional content related to today's episode. Welcome to Season 4, Episode 6 of The Collected Podcast. I'm your host, Jess Biondo, and Happy New Year! I know we're almost two weeks into the new year, but this is our first episode, and I just hope that everyone out there is having a great start to your new year. Um, And if you're not, I just pray that this episode will bring you some hope and encouragement today because I am very, very excited for the interview that we have in store. Today I have um, on the show Allison Pryor and she has a degree in psychology from both the University of Southern California and Fuller Theological Seminary. And she's currently working on her MA in spiritual formation and soul care. So I am just so excited to have her share. She speaks on um, topics at the intersection of faith and psychology, including health, relationships, soul care, mentoring, parenting, and spiritual formation. And if that isn't a great way to start off the new year of diving into all those things, then I don't know what is. So Allison, welcome to the show. Hi, Jess. Thanks for having me. Yes. So I gave kind of the overview, very fast snapshot of what you do, but I was wondering if you could fill our listeners in a little bit more on who you are and how God led you to all all this stuff that you do now. All the things. All the things. Yeah, I mean, I'll touch on a few things and we can circle back to whatever you think is helpful. Um, yeah. But I, yeah, so as you said, I am um, a trained psychotherapist. So I went to USC uh, for my undergrad in psych and then went on to Fuller to get my MA as a marriage and family therapist. And then I thought, you know, I'm gonna, when my youngest kid is in kindergarten, I'm going to, I I left work and thought I'd return to work as a therapist once my youngest was in kindergarten because I was pregnant uh, and trying to do therapy and realized that that was not gonna work. So we we were actually told we couldn't have kids, which is another larger story we may get into. but we got pregnant pretty unexpectedly when I was in that master's program, my husband and I. And um, that was sort of a miracle because I was told that, you know, I couldn't have kids. And then I had a cancer diagnosis actually at 20, which pushed it back even farther. So, um, and then we had another and another, and now we, we have five children. Oh, oh, and wow. I don't know if I mentioned that. Um, yeah. And I, last year, my youngest started kindergarten. And so I started making preparations to get back to work as a therapist. And um, it just wasn't where the Lord was taking me. And that was a real hard left turn for me. I had been reading, um, you know, the Henry Nowens and all sorts of spiritual formations, sort of Dallas Willard, that kind of stuff for years and really drawn to the concepts of soul care I was, you know, teaching on them and speaking on them because even when I wasn't actively doing therapy with families, I was offering free classes. I was, I still kept one foot in the game in just a real like lay person kind of way. Um, And I ended up enrolling in this program of spiritual formation and soul care at Biola University through their graduate level program. Um, And it's, 
really, it's bizarre and weird and I don't know what the Lord's doing, but it seems to be a broader theme of his to just sort of pry my hands off the steering wheel of my own life (laughs) over and over and over again. So yeah, so now I'm um, learning about soul care and spiritual formation. I'm in training to be a spiritual director. So maybe one day, I hold it all loosely, but maybe one day there will come an intersection of my knowledge as a therapist and my uh, knowledge as a spiritual director. Oh, I bet. I mean, I feel like God uses all the little pieces along the way yeah. to get different. us to somewhere different than we ever expected. Mm-hmm. Um, before we get more into the soul care side of things, I do want to circle back to when you mentioned you never thought you'd be able to have children. And um, I have a lot of friends right now, and I I don't know how many listeners out there are kind of in that spot and struggling with something similar or walking through a uh, walking through infertility. And I was wondering, I know starting off kind of heavy, but if you have any message of hope for them in this new year and someone who's just walking through any unfulfilled longing, I mean, I guess it could be pregnancy wow. or something else. Um, we all have something we desire um, so could you talk about wrestling with unfulfilled longing? Yeah, I, I definitely will. That's a, that's a great place to go. So for me, um, my pregnancy and childbearing journey was not one in which I had unfulfilled longings. So mm-hmm. I will, I'll give a brief overview of that and then we'll diverge. But I, um, was diagnosed at 16 with really severe endometriosis. And so I had a lot of scar tissue, Uh, That was actually visible through an external ultrasound. It was real thick, real bad. And they said, you know, you're most likely not going to have kids. Both aunts, I had an aunt on my maternal and my paternal side that both had it. We're both infertile. It just was real severe. And um, so I sort of was prepped from a young age to think, you know, this may not be in the cards. Mm. And then when I was 20, I was really unexpectedly diagnosed with stage three melanoma which uh, was possibly terminal at the time because there was no chemotherapy offered for it. Um, And so that was just another swerve spiritually. That was, you know, started at the beginning of my journey of faith with the Lord. So um, sort of my concepts of God uh, are really deeply interwoven with the concepts of suffering. So I came to know God in that season of life. And therefore I, uh, cling to the suffering savior side of Jesus. He's other things too, but that was the thing that really anchored me in that time. Um, and so we, after that, you know, they said you have, you have a five-year window before you can even try to have kids from a cancer diagnosis. So at 25, my husband and I got off the pill and we thought, you know, this isn't going to happen, but we're just going to like, I was halfway through my master's program at the time and they're like, Oh, it'll take you a year to ovulate. No, you know, you're fine. I was like, because I'm taking 18 units, you know, a semester. It's not a joke. And working full time. Um, I was off the pill two weeks and got pregnant. So I never had a period. Like, (laughs) And we just were like so shocked. I I came, being prepped my whole, you know, young adulthood for not having this happen. And then we just were so amazed and shocked. And sort of every pregnancy was like that. Where I get pregnant, I'd be like, What? What's amazing? I can't believe this. We just were so, and so it took us several children before our sort of theology kicked in of like, 
when do we know that it's time to not have more kids? Like, is our, is my barometer broken? Cause other people were like, Oh, you know, when you're done. And so that's to me, the more interesting part of the story is, is the, the, the point where God pried my hand off the wheel of even controlling fertility and just sort of having an idea of what he was going to do with our family life that those things, what if, what if we gave that to God too? What if we gave our bodies to God? What if we gave our time and our money and our fertility? What if we like, gave it all to God? Yeah. And that was a wild and brand new thought to me. And I, I, I could, I could tell so many stories of me, you know, crying and being terrified. I turned into the Duggars and wear denim skirts and I didn't know what God was doing and I was freaking out. And, uh, but the Lord just worked a, a, a huge work in terms of making me pliable in that season. He did a huge work in my heart and in my life of really teaching me the fruit of surrender and of letting go and of, him just taking charge of all aspects of my life. Uh, so he became real, re- real to me in that season. Um, and so, but yeah, so I don't struggle so much with unfulfilled longing in that, in that area, but I know exactly what you're speaking into mm-hmm. that we all have that thing inside of us that wants to be birthed into the world. Yeah. And so for me, it's been book writing. I have um, between eight and 10 manuscripts almost completed I've been writing since the age of 30. I'm now 43, I think. Um, yeah. And uh, I have yet to see one birthed into the world. Mm-hmm. And that's been another um, amazing work of God in my life where he has met me in that and he has sustained me in that because I think that's the work of you are at one point and here's the other point and you're stuck in that land in between like the, the wilderness. And how God offers daily bread in that time for you, if you're willing to take it. And that's been sort of the story that I'm in. I'm in the middle of it right now where um, I get a book right to the end line and my agent takes it. We work it, blah, blah, blah. We get right to the end and nothing. And that's happened now twice. And I'm now working on my third uh, push of a, of a manuscript through publication and every time it breaks my heart, every time it feels like a death, every time, you know, I cry into my Ben and Jerry's and watch Netflix, it's just, it's absolutely brutal, but it is that thing inside me where I know that it's, I know that it's real and I know it's there and I know I have words to put out in the world. And so I just start another book. I just write, I just keep going and I will have a million files on my computer by the time it's said and done, but that has been the work that the Lord has done the last decade in my life of really teaching me what it means to walk. Cause if you look at a map, I'm thinking of the wilderness as we're talking, cause that's the manuscript I'm working on right now. And if you think of the map of the Israelites walking in the wilderness, it looks like a plate of spaghetti noodles. It's just like, they go here and then they go there and then they go here. It's like all over the place. And we live in a world where it seems like everyone else is linear. And it seems like they move from point A to point B to point C, happy ending, tie it in a bow. And that's not really reality. We're, no. we're all stuck in these crazy loops of like, we just took a hard left. Like, I guess that must be where we're going now. And, and none of us really know what's happening. And so, yeah, that's the work has been for me of meeting God in that place of accepting the sustaining manna that he's given for that day and pressing forward. It's just, yeah. So I, I know exactly what you're 
speaking into. And the more I talk about it and the more that I talk about even the manuscript I'm writing now, I see people's eyes light up. Like what you're saying that you have people in your life who are experiencing that same thing right now. Mm -hmm. And as you were talking, I just feel so strongly that it is not wasted. Like all those manuscripts, they will see the world one day, I believe. Like, I like grieving the loss of having to start over, um, you know, for you or anyone out there who's listening, like whatever your manuscript is, whatever your, the thing you're trying to birth into the world. I love the way you phrase that. Like the failed attempts are not wasted mm-hmm. and God can use all of that. And when you're stuck in the middle of it and grieving the loss of something that you thought would see the light. Yeah. It's not always, you know, the easiest thing to hear, but I really believe that someone out there needs just to let that sink in that, that the time that felt like a failure is not a waste yeah, and that God is still going to use it to bring forth some sort of goodness in your life. Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely believe that too, because even the context of the most recent thing I'm writing is basically about this whole process. Mm. You know, I would have nothing to write if I had just, if the first thing just went out and just was an easy sell and everything's great, yeah. I wouldn't have anything to talk about. So, and, and I would say too that um, I feel like there's this point where we, where we go to God with it for the first couple days and then we don't really hear much back and we sort of give up. Mm-hmm. And I, if I were to give any encouragement to somebody in the same place, no matter what the unmet longing is, no matter where you are and where you long to be, when you're in that middle place, to keep bringing it before the throne of God, that has been the thing that sustained me is just like that persistent, the way D- Jesus teaches us to pray, like, just keep knocking on your neighbor's door for the bread. Like, just keep at, be the persistent widow. Like, just keep going for it. Um, because I... I, I mean, I told the Lord years ago when I first realized that this was not going to be as easy as I thought it was going to be. I thought I'd just write it and that would be it. Um, I didn't realize there was all these other things like platform and media and all these things that I didn't know about. Right. I thought I just had to write the book and that's not accurate. Um, and I remember approaching him and saying, if you just give me a word to sustain me, that will be enough. Like I just need, and he, and I never felt like, I I felt the drive. I felt him giving me more words. I felt, you know, the manuscripts keep coming, but I never really felt a resolution to what he was actually doing. I felt blinded to that. And I think a lot of people, when they're in any kind of wilderness in their lives, um, I think they give up easily because it's, it's painful. It's painful to want something and not have it. Yeah. And so our, our natural way of dealing with that is just to not watch it anymore or, or to pretend, you know, to, to numb it or to turn away from it. And it's been in the persistence that has yielded for me in my soul, the best fruit. It has been the most intimate times of the Lord of um, him revealing more of who he is to me in that. Mm. So that would be my, like, just keep, just keep knocking. <laughs> Yeah. Even if it's not this door you think will be opened, a door will be opened. Yes. So in that, like in that persistence, what are you learning about the character of God? Mm -hmm. So I remember about six months ago, he gave me a really beautiful word um, where I was my avocado. I had a, I had a dream about my avocado tree 
Um, and I, I have this huge avocado dream. I love you. And so it like, to me is now spiritual. Cause I had a dream about it. So I'm like, well, it's a prophetic dream. It like must be it's my, my avocado tree is very spiritual to me now. So when I go, sometimes I will stand under this avocado tree and pray. Like it's like become a, a sacred place for me to just go and commune with God. And after my last rejection, so yeah, about six months ago, I was standing under that tree and I just was weeping and weeping um, because the the point of rejection was something that I couldn't fix. It was something that I didn't, it wasn't like your writing's bad or it was, it was something I didn't have control over. And so I felt really helpless. And I remember just weeping and weeping under that avocado tree. And I'm looking around um, at, cause twice a year, you know, we get a pretty big harvest and a bunch of the upper fruits had fallen, the ones we couldn't pick. And the, the squirrels, we have like a profound amount of squirrels around my house and they had chewed them up and they were half eaten. They were completely useless. And I just remember standing there and weeping my eyes out and feeling like those dead, nasty, smashed up avocados, like the the fruit that I have, I'm bearing fruit. I'm writing the words. I'm, I'm doing my very best Lord. And it's just falling to the ground. It's just getting smashed up. Squirrels are eating it. It's just, it's, it's no good for consumption. It's no good for anybody. And I was reminded in my spirit again, like just keep going to the throne. Keep going. So I went back to a verse that I um, had turned into a breath prayer about a year ago. It's the message version out of first Samuel where Hannah is praying fervently for a son. So again, an unmet longing. And in the message version, it says, God of angel armies go into action for me. And I, I didn't have the message version with me. I had my like ESV with me. And I was just sitting there crying, sitting in a little chair by my, by my avocado tree. And I'm crying my tears. And I turned to that passage just to remind myself, just to, you know, God of angel armies go into action for me, do things for me that I can't do for myself. And a few verses later, the verse that caught my eye was God speaking. Uh, it's, it's, you know, God and Samuel are having this um, conversation and Eli and all that stuff. But he, it says that God sustained Samuel and none of his words fell to the ground. And I must've read that passage a hundred times, but none, it didn't, it didn't click until that moment. And, and I felt it click into my heart in that way, you know, where you feel something descend into your spirit. And I almost audibly heard the Lord say, I will not let any of your words fall to the ground. And, and that's all I needed. And that has sustained me, you know, ever since that rejection. And so if we go knocking for it, the Lord, he will meet us in it. And he, and I was like, I could have used that word like six years ago. If you just said to me six years ago, you know, but now I believe it. And now every time I get discouraged, I think, you know what? None of my words are going to fall to the ground. The Lord has said it and that's all there is to it. And none of my words, they're not going to fall. I can just keep, and now I'm like, it's brought this wind to my back of freedom of um that was actually a shift of i stopped trying to get things published through traditional publishing and just started giving away on my website i started just like i took chapters of my book and just started emailing them out and sending them out and just like giving them away and that felt amazing because people were receiving it and people it was like for the first time ever they were being received instead of like rejected constantly so yeah, so uh, yeah, I don't know what character that is of the Lord, except for that He met me in that and sustained me, mm. and gave me a promise to hold on to, which yeah, which was beautiful. Oh, I love that 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 gave me chills. <laughs> that yeah, is good. Mm. Um, so as you were sharing all this, I was 
I kind of feel like there's somebody out there who is like walking that path, who really like you're speaking directly to them. And then the, the struggle that they're also going through is a lot of like comparison of mm-hmm. whatever the longing is, the people around them who seem to be moving forward in that area. And it's like, I mean, for me personally, I am so content in the Lord and I know he has a plan for my life and I trust him. And I, you know, it's like, I know we're all on different paths and, and he's never held out on me. He's never mm-hmm. like held back his love and goodness from me. And yet I feel kind of stuck and it's hard to mm-hmm. not compare. Like, what do you have for that person? Mm-hmm. Gosh, that's good. Yeah. I think the being stuck is its own invitation. If we will see it as such the thing that um, sort of catapulted me into the writings that I'm doing right now in the wilderness was the death of my mother-in-law who I was really, really close with and um, the grief that came up. Um, It was the first person that I had that was real close to me that died. And the first person I helped die, she had terminal cancer and we watched her die slowly and painfully and traumatically. And it was just a real, um, it was a real moment of, of suffering and of pain and of doubt in my life. And it came at the exact same time as a few other things. It came at the same time as my 40th birthday. She died the week of my 40th birthday. And it came at the same time where I was trying to discern um, if I should keep moving forward with the writing stuff or if I should maybe get into the therapy stuff or go back. So I was like at this crossroads in my work, in my family. My youngest was starting kindergarten. Um, and it was this massive shift in transition. And it was the exact feeling of being stuck of like, everyone else is fluid. Everyone else is moving and I am not. And I started taking these long walks when I, um, when the grief would come, it just, it, it, it made me feel paralyzed and I felt stuck in my body. And so I start walking and I have this Creek by my house. It's like a lot, it's a loop. It's a mile loop. And there's a Creek that runs through the center. And, um, I would walk this Creek every day. And one day I was standing, there's little bridges, cute little bridges that go over the creek. Um, and one time I was standing on the bridge and I, the tears were coming and I just was feeling feelings. And I noticed this giant maple leaf in the creek and the, the water's moving and all the pebbles are going, all the leaves are going. There's this one giant maple leaf just stuck in the center. And I just started sobbing, looking at this maple leaf, thinking that's me. I am that leaf. And I like, move leaf, go. Go on, like get, like keep it moving. Catch everybody the wave, yeah, yeah. Catch the wave, man. Like get it moving, and everybody else, you know, they're trotting along down the river. And I felt like not only am I stuck, but God has me stuck. God is in control. If God is sovereign over all things, and I've yielded my life completely to Him, then if I am stuck, then that's part of God's will too. So it's like almost an anchor of like, not only am I stuck, but you're in charge of the fact that I'm stuck. And that was, um, yielding to that was a really important moment for me because it brought me back to, I had already started, you know, some musings on the wilderness stuff, but it brought me back to what it must've been like for them to be intense and to be following this pillar of fire and to not know when it would go and not know when it would stop and not know if there'd be water and not know if there'd be, no, nothing, have nothing except for what you carried out in your backs. And what was God teaching them in the desert, except for how to be human, how to live a life? They had, they had, 
survive for generations as slaves. And the whole purpose of the wilderness was to reorient their hearts to being free people. And they couldn't move from being a slave to being a free person overnight. They had to have this long experience in the middle of reforming hearts, reforming desires. And God taught them everything. If you look through the scope of the Bible as one whole story, you'll see that that imagery of Exodus comes up over and over. It's like the story, all of the feasts, you know, Feast of Tabernacles, Feast of First, all of the feasts are around the desert experience. They're all around God's big redemption story with his people. So I just, that jumped out at me and I noticed he instituted Sabbath in the desert. He instituted worship in the desert. He instituted all these stops and all these pauses and all this rest in this place where they were stuck. Yeah. And so I just found like that to me was um, instructive that when we are in a, a place where we feel like we want to birth something into the world and we feel stuck, it won't, we can't move forward. We can't, that maybe that too is an invitation of what we would learn in the stillness because we're not, our culture does not redeem still time. There's no sort of, um, cultural understanding of I need to spend the next two hours staring off into space and praying. And that's a valid use of my time. If someone says, Alison, would you like to have coffee at 3 p.m.? If I were to say, you know what, that's my time to stare off into space and to think my thoughts or to pray. That would not really be a valid excuse in our culture because we don't value, we, we see that as unproductive. And if it's not unproductive, if it's not productive, it's not useful. And so it really reoriented my heart toward what I value and how, um, I had taken on quite a bit of the world's value of finding my worth and what I can do and what I can teach and what I can um, express and what I can say and what I know instead of it being in who God is and who God has made me to be. Hmm. Amen. That, man, I, I think it's just crazy that you know, you keep talking about the Israelites in this wilderness, and I feel like God keeps bringing me back to that too. And um, I don't know. Sorry, I'm. <laughs> I know I'm supposed to be, you know, leading the interview, but I'm just like, okay, God, in this one, you're speaking right to me. No. <laughs> so, listeners, thanks for bearing with us as I also process my own emotions and as we stare at each other, as we, we just yeah. <laughs> Um, so you mentioned kind of, you know, tending to your heart and Sabbath and rest. What are some soul care practices that you could, um, I recommend, you know, for our listeners starting out a new year? That's a great question. And why I'm going to school. So I should have a good answer. Um, I I was telling you, I was on a zoom earlier this morning and uh, my close friend, she, we, um, we text often and she had asked me how I was doing. My father actually passed away at the beginning of December. And I went last week to Florida to collect his ashes and to do all those awful things, you know, that one has to do. I'm so sorry. Yeah, it was, it was pretty brutal. And she knows that I'm kicking back into full-time school this week and, you know, full-time, my youngest is first grade. And so my oldest is in high school. So I'm, I'm, it's, it's a busy season. And she said, she asked that question. She said, what are you doing right now? Cause she knows that that's like the thing to ask me. She said, what are you doing to care for yourself? And I said, you know, the thing I think I learned most from Nancy my mother-in-law's passing was my instinct to run. 
And I have this, this, I don't know if it's a human thing or if it's a me thing, but when I got cancer, I ran, I got right back into school. I did full-time classes. I was like, I don't even, I'm just going to keep going. And who knows? And it's by the grace of, of God that I have made it thus far, but um, it's my instinct to run when there's suffering. And I think some people run, some people numb, some people, I mean, we all have our, you know, coping mechanisms, mm-hmm. but mine was to run and just keep go push, push, push. And I got really sick after she died. I got um, bronchitis and I got pneumonia and I got shingles. I never had shingles in my life. I got all these bizarre diseases after she passed. And it was only getting shingles when I physically couldn't move anymore that I realized that grief and suffering um, are like breaking a bone and you have to treat it as such. You can't just keep walking on a broken bone. It's yeah. your, a broken heart needs to be tended to. And so I told her that, and I said, you know, I learned that lesson the hard way when she passed that I just didn't tend to my body. And it may be different for other people, but for me in grief, tending to my body has been the thing that's moved me forward. And so I did my walk this morning around my Creek. I took a bubble bath. I am taking all the multivitamins. I bought lots of kale at sprouts. Like I'm eating the good food. I'm sleeping 10 to 12 hours a night. Like I am treating my body as though it were my most beloved friend or child. Mm. Like here's some tea body, tuck yourself into bed body. You're doing great. Here's a bubble bath. And I'm just really tending to what she needs as though she were someone else, because it's hard to do it when it's yourself. I've noticed. I don't know why that is, but it's true. And so in a very micro level, uh, that, the real basics of drinking water and taking vitamins and going on walks and sleeping when you need to sleep and saying no when you say no and um, just caring for your body as it's the temple of God. On a macro level, um, I've noticed that there are, there are times in my life where I have a healthier rhythm than times I don't. And the ancients would call that having a rule of life. That's a very like St. Benedict term, having a rule of life. And it's sort of uh, having a really good balance of that, which is life-giving and that which is draining because we're called to interact with our families. We're called to serve the poor. We're called, I mean, we're called to do a lot of things as Christians, but also we need to be incorporating things that are life-giving. So I have a broad rule of life that I adhere to, and I can tell when I'm not adhering to it. And uh, so mine is, let me see if I can get them all. Rest, which is both daily, weekly, and monthly, and yearly. So I do, um, I make sure I get enough sleep every night. I Sabbath hard. Sabbath in my house is no joke. Mm. Do not ask me to drive you places. We cook double on Saturday. We are like hard, I have taught my children to Sabbath and we Sabbath really hard in my house. And it's a day of prayer and play and that's all. And we don't do laundry. We do not like we, and my kids even now I'll be like, Hey, can you unload the dishwasher? And they're like, it's Sabbath. <laughs> I can't do any work on the Sabbath. So it comes back to bite me sometimes, but um, we have one day of rest in our home and you're not allowed to book anything. And you're not allowed to ask to go anywhere. And we like, we just are going to play with each other and we're going to rest and we're going to worship. And that's what the day's for. And then I do quarterly retreats. So I do, um, it's actually part of my program, which has been my favorite, favorite part of my program is we, every semester have to take a 48 hour silent and solitude retreat of just prayer, just wow. silent and solitude. And it is for a mother, like the best. And I took a great class last semester where um, I learned how to write a, 
a retreat for another person. And so we were paired up with a partner in class and you get to know them the whole semester. And then you write them a 48 hour retreat that they follow. So she wrote one for me and I wrote one for her. And man, that was like one of the more, more beautiful things I've experienced in my life to know someone and to have them know you and to write out like, 48 hours of, of prayer. And, and even like the way she, she said, when you pack up, do it slowly and mindfully and be gentle with yourself, Allison, like, and all these, she just like, Oh, it was so wonderful. And now oh. I'm addicted to writing retreats for my friends. And that's all they get for their Christmas presents is I write them retreats because it's my new favorite thing to do for people is to, you know, write them a 48 hour retreat and send them on it. If that was a way, like, to make a living and live a life, I would be all set. I would buy one. That sounds yeah. amazing. <laughs> I know. And like I'll buy I a want one and little tea packets and I have a little a little kit. It's I love it. I gotta figure out a way to like wrap that up and you know, make it a thing because I I love it. I love I love experiencing retreat. I love the idea of people taking retreat. Um if you want a resource on that, um Ruth Haley Barton is my favorite on that. She wrote um Silent Solitude and Retreat. Yeah, but she's the best. So Ruth Haley Barton, if you're looking for books on that topic of why it's important to build in a rhythm of regular retreating mm-hmm. in your life. I'll put a link like, to that in our show notes. Yeah, yeah. Find one of her good books. I'll, I'll, I'll text you one. But um, yeah, she's, she's amazing. She's an amazing resource. So rest is one in my rule of life, daily, weekly, morning. Another's community, um, both inside and outside the home, just really cultivating good soil within my home and cultivating good, healthy community outside my home. The third is Jesus. That's non-negotiable. Every morning I'm in my chair at the same time, same day. Like it's, it's just mm. don't mess it. My kids will walk in my office, see me and just turn and they know, like, don't even talk to me. Four is exercise, <clears throat> which is my least favorite one, but vital. And five is nature. Mm. I have to have time in the sun and in nature and in God's creation to, to commune better with him. So, so micro one way macro rule of life. Yes. I recommend praying through what God would give you as a rule of life because he wants us to be healthy. Oh, those are so good. And I'll have, I'll type those up on our uh, show notes in the blog too. So people can refer back to those. Um, as we wrap up, we are almost out of time. And so I want to just throw you the most vague question of what did I miss? What is something that the Holy Spirit is laying on your heart for someone out there mm-hmm. that we did mm-hmm. not get to, but I can't let you leave without mm-hmm. saying it. Okay. Um, Here's something we didn't quite get into like what I actually do day to day in terms of um, community work. So when the writing thing didn't quite work and the therapy thing, a few things didn't quite work. I was going through the book of Matthew in two different spheres of life in my church and in a Bible study. I attend outside my church. They both happened to be doing the book of Matthew. And it was like in bold highlighted as I was going through this text in two different arenas of my life, how accessible Jesus was. And I realized that that in and of itself is a valid way of moving through the world. And I had someone ask me during that time frame, like, what do you do? Cause I don't, I mean, I know like your mom and I know you like go to school. I know you, but like, what do you do though? And I said, I embrace the ministry of accessibility. If someone wants to have coffee with me, I'm going to have coffee. If somebody wants to pray, I'm going to, I, when I read those gospels through that lens, 
all I could see was both proximity and accessibility of Jesus, how he mm. could have lived in a mansion and a gated community and come out and done all the same things, you know, like miracles at like nine, noon and five or, you know, whatever. He could have separated himself and he didn't. And he, he'd be on his way to heal somebody and somebody else would be like, hey, I need and he'd go over here. And then someone else, and go over here. And then oh, we're in a boat. We're, he just, he, of when I feel like I've got a million people pulling at me in a million different directions, who better to understand that but Jesus? Mm-hmm. And his ability to um, sustain himself and be sustained by God amidst chaos and the demands of needy people, <laughs> needy, grabby, screaming people, and his commitment to accessibility and proximity have radically changed the way that I read the gospels and the way that I interpret the Bible. Um, and it's been the thing that I return to. So like kind of circling back to what we talked about longing and sort of like wanting to birth something into the world or feeling stuck. That was a really vital thing that got me through that, that season that I still return to. Like, where are my feet planted? Who's around me? What is God calling me into here and now in my room? Not on my internet life or not over in my dream life. Or like what right now in between my own two feet, where, what is God doing? And who am I close with? And who, what do I, even like, what do I have? If you look at the miracle of the loaves and fishes, Jesus says, what do you have? Well, I got five loaves and two fish. Okay, good. Let's let's use that. Like, what do you have? Do you have a minivan? Do you have an hour? Do you have a good recipe for um, lasagna? Like, what do you have? And then if you start there, God multiplies it. He will show you the neighbor next door who is homebound and who's old and who has no visitors. God will show you the mom who needs you to pick up a kid after school. God, he will show you if you have the eyes to see. And proximity and accessibility are just like the things that have have grounded me in in the life he has me in. Oh, that is so good. Thank you so much. And oh, I just love this episode. So I hope our listeners did as well. And thank you for your time. Yes. And thank you for inviting me. I appreciate it. What an amazing conversation with Allison. Um, Oh, I just, I loved it. And I love how it reminded me again that God is a God who sees us. And sometimes when He's trying to really speak to our hearts in a very like intimate and personal way, He brings the same themes up over and over again. And so many of the things that Allison was talking about were also like the themes in my sermon last Sunday at church, at the church I go to. And so I'm like, all right, Lord, I I get it. I like, there's something in here for me that I need to hear, uh, but maybe for someone out there too. So I just wanted to share a few of the sermon notes from last week. At one point, my pastor said, we cannot have the life that Jesus offers without adopting the lifestyle that Jesus lived. And like Allison was talking about, he had this lifestyle of being accessible and his proximity like he he was in life with the people he he wasn't often in some palace somewhere um and we see in mark 6 and matthew 14 it's like the gospels give an account of the same story in those two different places we see jesus experiencing the high high of achievement and success in his ministry But then the low, low of receiving the news of the death of John the Baptist, his cousin, his 
you know, close friend, um, this person who went before him in ministry. And the solution for both the high, high and the low, low was God saying, come away with me for quiet and rest. Like in, in both times in the success and in the struggle, Jesus's response was to go away and rest and be with the Lord to be revived or restored. Like we don't just need God in the suffering. We need him in the success as well. And it highlights this idea that it's in the quiet places of rest with the Lord where God reminds us of our true identity, that our identity is not in the success, but that we also are not lost in the suffering and the grief. Like we always need to be reconnecting with the Lord, finding rest in Him, being still with Him, because that is the source for who we are. We need to be working and living from a place of rest, not for rest, working from rest, not for rest, from a place of knowing who we are, that we are already approved, that we are already provided for. And like, that's where the power of life in the Lord is found. It's not in the doing and the, you know, the the striving and the achieving. It's in the resting in Him so that He can remind us of who He is and who we are in Him. And then it's from that that we can go out into the world um, and be used for the good and glory of His kingdom. So I just hope that for you this year, this week, this day, um, that you will find moments of rest, even if it's just two or three minutes a day. Start there, like one minute in the morning, you know, before you open your eyes and get out of bed and check your phone, take just a minute to rest in Him to start your day. Um, so, yeah, I, that's what we have for you today. That's what I have for you. I hope that your year is off to a great start. I love you so much, and we'll be back in two weeks. Have a good one. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Collected Podcast. Please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. And if you like what you've heard, we'd love it if you'd help spread the word. Check back here for new episodes dropping every other Thursday. You can follow along on social media at Collected Ministries. You can also find Jess at Jess Biondo. If you would like to support Collected by making a tax-deductible contribution, please visit collectedministries.org slash donate. Collected proudly supports and partners with Flourish Kenya, a nonprofit working to support and prevent unplanned adolescent pregnancy in rural Kenya. Learn more at flourishkenya.org. The Collected Podcast is produced by Jess Biondo and edited by Jacob Early. Music is by Asaf Elan.